the liability issues and, and entity structure and then the, the, the conventional loans. And so that's where I kind of turned my sights towards apartment complex investing. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast, Passive Investing Edition. My name is Randy Smith, and I am your host today. And our sole purpose here today is to educate and inspire the passive investor. So we have an amazing guest, Jonathan Lau. I met Jonathan at an event earlier this year, and I just think he'll bring a tremendous amount of value to the show. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Randy. I'm super excited to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in, Jonathan. Can you sure. kind of walk us through maybe your background and what led you to finding passive investing on your journey? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, Randy, I've been investing in real estate for the last nine years. I'm out of here in Seattle, Washington. And just before getting married, I had bought a fourplex, a little small <laughs> property of north of Seattle. And after I got married, my wife and I moved into one of the units, but it was an FHA loan, had the seller play closing cost, and ultimately was able to conserve a lot of capital. And then that allowed us, you know, having other tenants helping us pay for our rent, we were able to buy a duplex uh, in Seattle and just kind of rinse and repeat, lived in one of the units, then did a triplex the next year, and then a house on Mercer Island where we live today. And so- wow. That brings us to like 2017, but I'm like, okay, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm working full time, I'm a landlord. And that's where I was like, okay, there's got to be a better way of doing this and scaling. And so I started like looking for partnerships, finding people okay. I could work with where I didn't have to use my time to invest uh, in, in real estate. And so I, I tried flips as a capital partner where I had a team doing the flip and I just provided the capital. I had a friend that was doing hard money lending. I was able to work with him and partner with him to, to give capital to developers or flippers that needed my money. I just received interest income. I didn't like the, the tax implications of both those strategies. So sure. I, then I started exploring build to rent where I had a builder in, uh, in Florida build duplexes or single family homes all throughout Cape Coral, Jacksonville, and Palm Coast. And they would build it and they'd have a sister company that would manage it for me. And so it was, yeah. that was getting greater, whereas now kind of um, being more passive, but I started running into other like scaling issues where I had all these issues with like entity structure and, and uh, having every single property in an, L, uh, an LLC and all that whole sure. asset protection stuff. And then two is like, okay, you can only have 10 loan conventional loans at a time. And so it just got a little bit difficult. So I and, started going and, back to the drawing board. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, let me jump in real quick. So this whole time you're working a W-2, I believe as well. Is that correct? That's right. I was in aerospace for a little bit and then moved into te technology. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So having some experience with long distance investing, um, I know that that can be a little challenging to manage uh, the W-2 and make sure you're showing up at 100% and then giving yep. uh, 100% to this other business <laughs> essentially as well. Right. So yeah. yeah, interesting. So now, so I hear a lot of folks will actually start 
active and you mentioned house hacking or you didn't mention the term house hacking, but you were house hacking. That's right. And then Precisely. you scaled that pretty quickly and then moved over to, was it a turnkey provider essentially what the single family duplex offering was yep. in Florida? Yeah. Okay. Build to rent turnkey. So that was after the the flips and then the hard money lending. I started doing the turnkey. Yep. Got it. So you're, you're trying to move uh, further and further away from the active piece over into passive investing by going down the turnkey path. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I just perfect. felt like, yeah, it, but, I, but again, it's just like, so I started building up the portfolio, bringing in cash flow, but I was still running into those issues of like the, 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 the liability issues and, and entity structure and then the, the, the conventional loans. And so that's where I kind of turned my sights towards apartment complex investing, something I had been thinking about since 2016 and started searching out for a partner that had been in this, that was in this space and we I was really successful at it. And so I met, met up with a gal named Elisa Zhang. She's out of Seattle, Washington. I met her five years ago at a, a random real estate meetup uh, in downtown Seattle. Then two years later, I reached back out there and said, hey, I'd, I'd really like to get into this. And so I've started investing with her as a limited partner, as well as a general partner for about 1,600 units between um, Texas and, and Arizona. And so that's kind of been my latest path towards passive investing is investing in these apartment complexes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you moved pretty quickly. So how many, how many doors did you accumulate in your active days? Um, I guess in combination with your build to rent as well. Yeah, I roughly got to around 20 doors in my active days. And then, you did. Um, yeah, and then everything else has basically been passive and, and so forth. Okay. So now um, 20 doors, you're probably making maybe a couple hundred dollars a door, maybe $300 a door. Is that fair? Or was it more or less than that? Or I mean, roughly, yeah. I mean, I would say that during this time that we start, we invested in, in a, we, we caught a tidal wave, right? I mean, anyone was making money from, to, sure. you know, 10 to, to basically now. And uh, so we have quite yeah. a bit of cash flow per door in, in our Seattle and, and, and Florida markets. You did. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good strategy too, starting out with the, with the house hacking and then moving over to a little bit more passive. Now, do you still own yeah. all of those doors or did you sell those and transition the capital over into the passive space or? We only sold one property. It was a fourplex. It was, that was the first one. It just had a lot of deferred maintenance. It was a lot further away from our home. I was like, okay, I got to unload this, but we, my wife and I are pretty straightforward investors. We like the buy and hold strategy and just hold on for long term. We like cash flow. And so that's what we've been focusing on. So we've held on to all of them minus the fourplex. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's it's interesting. It seems like folks will go one, one extreme or the other. So it's neat to hear that you've kept those because, um, you know, I, I went down the path of acquiring single families. I didn't get to the level that you were, um, but we ended up actually selling all of our single families mm -hmm to move that capital over to passive investments, just simply because um, even, even what a lot of people think long-term holds will be passive. They're anything but passive is my experience. Um, <laughs> That's right. So That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Randy, okay. I, I, so I, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was just saying like, I think there's no right, right answer about whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing to do. There's just so many different ways to make money in real estate and everyone has their own strategy. That's kind of based upon their time 
horizon, their risk tolerance and, and, and so forth. And so, you know, it's worked for us and we, we, we've enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's interesting too, like even as you move into the passive space, um, you know, it sounds like you're a buy and hold guy, definitely with your single families, has mm-hmm. that same strategy translated to your your strategy with your passive deals? Are you looking for deals that are longer term holds or do you like right. to, you know, see the quick turns and see the quick uh, growth opportunity that exists there? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, out of necessity, we we wanted to focus on cash flow first to get to a point where our monthly expenses were met by our cash flow. That gave us like this, this security and protection. And so we've kind of had this real big goal about just cash flow up front. But we're still relatively young and now we're like, okay, well, we've met some of those targets. So now it's like, okay, let's start focusing on equity growth. And so for these syndications or these apartment complex investments that we've done, we are looking for that equity growth. And so that's we we we're not looking for cash flow right now. We have that baseline cash flow. Now it's like growing a pot of money. And by the when when we want to maybe slow down later on in life, we'll convert a lot of that 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 bucket of money into more cash flowing assets. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I think mm. there's when when I first started in the space as well, I was a, a high income W two guy like yourself, mm-hmm. and. Um, the goal at the time, I very much was, and, and my listeners have heard this over and over again, but my, li- I, <laughs> the goal was not so much cash flow. It really was just growth and equity growth to b- keep building sure. that bucker bigger and bigger and bigger. And right. um, after leaving the W two involuntarily earlier this year, I, I very quickly <laughs> became a cash flow investor cash overnight. Flow. So my strategy had to shift. Yeah. Um, but it's. But it's interesting that in this space, there's so many different types of operators and deals that are in the marketplace. You can really tailor your strategy based on um, the deals that you choose to invest in and based on your your specific needs. So mm-hmm. um, now you mentioned Elisa Zhang earlier, mm-hmm. and um, I had the pleasure of being in an audience when she was presenting a handful of months ago. I, I've really enjoyed... Um, the content that I see her putting out. And my understanding is you're you're um, getting closer and closer with that organization as well. Can you talk to mm-hmm. me a little bit about that transition and what that's looked like for you? Yeah, absolutely, Randy. So like you'd mentioned, I still have a W-2. I'm in the technology field and I, I've been keeping tabs on Elisa for the last five years, getting her her blogs and newsletters and I've been impressed with what she's been building. And when I reached out to her about two years ago, you know, I'd mentioned my interest in getting into this space. And one thing that really caught my eye and what I was drawn to is that, you know, she's a family woman. She has two young kids. Um, and also that she just wasn't super like f- flashy. Like she just, you know, like she wasn't about trying to flaunt her success or her wealth. It was really, she was laser focused on trying to make an impact, helping investors uh, become financially independent or building up and creating better communities uh, through these, these mm-hmm. buying these apartments and fixing them up. And, and so I just kind of resonated with what she was trying to achieve um, and, 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 and ultimately felt like I started raising capital for her on specific deals. And 
as well as helping out with some operations and, and so forth. And what ended up happening is we just started realizing that we worked quite well together. And I've slowly been taking on a little bit more responsibilities on, on the side. And, and ultimately, we just, we're just we seeing this um, kind of long-term vision of where I could play a role in her organization and being involved in all things related to bringing capital to a deal to close it and, in, sure. and, and educating you know investors and helping them understand how to invest in 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 real estate. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's just I, a, I it's, a, it's a gradual transition. Yeah, is it, to answer your question. Yeah, and I th- I think one of the beauties of investing and even being slightly active in this space is that a large portion of this work um, happens after hours. It allows you the ability and the flexibility to still focus on a W-2 and give 100% there. And then mm-hmm. your side passion project is where, you know, you, you you might have to take a little bit of time from watching Dancing with the Stars. Um, <laughs> but if you can spend a couple hours My in the evening pleasure. and in the weekends. pleasure. Yeah. 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 If you can spend a couple hours in the nights and the weekends, um, you can actually build something very significant in those hours where where most of the population is just kind of squandering that time. So um, I'd like also that you mentioned, Elisa, with the kind of the community. One thing I've noticed about her community is um, you see a lot in the social presence and what they're doing it's one thing to make a beautiful apartment complex, but it's another thing to start building on that community and offering services and having picnics and having parties and Halloween mm-hmm. events and things like That's that, right. that a lot of folks that are just chasing the dollars don't do. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been neat to see that. Can you add any color to that or your perspective? To yeah. That? Yeah. You know, Lisa for a while, she'd had this vision of creating a foundation where she would basically be raising nonprofit money to invest in, in nonprofits around the communities that we're investing in to help people with, you know, financial literacy, maybe alcohol anonymous or domestic violence abuse. Like in our, one of our properties in Texas, we provide lunches for kids or, you know, school supplies for kids when they're going to school. Like, so I think the whole idea is I see this vision of her trying to really up level all the people around her I see that in, like in her personal life and I see it now mm-hmm. where she, she, she's expanding her sphere of influence and helping people do that at a massive scale through these investments. And so um, what I would just say is like that, that's a, a key part of what has like kind of earned my trust of understanding her character and what she's trying to ch- achieve. And so, mm-hmm. um, but you're absolutely right. You, you picked up on that too. It's, 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 it's inspiring. And I, I want to yeah. be a part of that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's you know, as a, as a W two to a certain extent, I guess you you get to choose who you work for, um, sure, from a very broad standpoint. But you quite often don't get to choose who your team is and who your partners are in work. Um, so it's refreshing that from an investment standpoint and from a passive investor or even active investment standpoint, you do get to choose the people you work with and engage with and yes. invest with. Yeah. Because we want to further their um, further their journey and help them help more people, essentially. That's right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, you know, some of the standard things that we like to talk about. Clearly, clearly, you're a multifamily guy. But um, mm-hmm. why why did you choose? Was it more the jockey 
that just happened to be riding the multifamily horse or was it anything specific about multifamily that drew you to the, to that space? It's hmm. a good question, Randy. I would say that I, I, I first started looking into multifamily investing, you know, investing in apartments back in 2016 when I was still in an active investor, knowing that I, like one day I'd like to start investing in apartment complexes. So I read a lot of books and, and listen to podcasts and whatnot and try to just educate myself, but just the timing wasn't right uh, for various reasons. But um, I think why I like multifamily, especially what we call value add, where you might find a property that's like what we call like a C-class property that's you know, maybe 40, 50 years old. It cosmetically, cosmetically needs to be fixed up. Um, this whole idea of going in and taking this older dated asset making it look better, having better facilities and amenities and being able to charge more rent commensurate with the, the value that you've, you've, you've invested into this apartment and, you know, kind of making it like a B-class property. It's like, I, I love that idea of being able to force appreciation, right? You think of like a stock or some other investments where you just kind of buy it and you just kind of pray and like, oh my gosh, I hope this goes up in value. <laughs> like here, like you can buy an asset and have this business plan say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to this property. We're going to be able to increase the revenue and reduce expenses in a certain way where we're going to be able to make this property more valuable so that in two, three years, someone's going to want to spend more, buy, uh, buy it with, for more money than, than when we bought it for. And, and we can take that profit. And, and I just, I love that element of forced appreciation and value add. And then two, I also love the fact that typically, depending on how you do it, I love just that they're cash flowing assets, right? This is not like a ground up development where it's like, there's so many unknowns and so many variables it's just like okay it's already producing income we have this plan to force appreciation i just like that sort of certainty um and and that's what really drew me to to multifamilies that forced appreciation and the cash flow mm -hmm. yeah i i think the the, the value add strategy is really um, as you said it kind of takes or it, it lessens the impact of Variations you might see in cap rates, variations you might see in interest rates, um, and it really puts the burden on the execution of that business plan of yes. you know fixing fixing everything up, painting the outside, adding the dog parks, um, you know, adding right. new cabinets, all of that other stuff. All of mm -hmm. that work offsets a lot of the challenges that you have exposure to in this space. So it really it kind of it talks to the need and the necessity of having a really, really strong organization that can support that value add plan. And mm -hmm. one that has done it many times is very good at it and is reliable. So I, I'm curious about, you know, your thoughts around how the passive investor can look at um, an organization like the one you're affiliated with or others to determine if they have the wherewithal to execute the business plan that they're presenting in, uh, in their offering. Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. And, and Randy, I think you're hitting, you're hitting the nail on the head that at the end of the day, it's like, it's the partnership. It's the team that you're going to be investing with. That's the most important decision um, as a passive investor is like who to partner with. Right. And yeah. I believe that, like when I'm analyzing a team, the foundation of, of, of this relationship is going to be trust, right? And trust, mm -hmm. I think, 
the anatomy of trust is like character and competency, right? You can have someone that's really, really good at what they do, but if they have no character, they might, you know, take your money and run on a, when things get hard or who knows what, or you can have someone with like a lot of character, like they're really honest and they're really good, but they have no competency, then they might try their hardest and mean well, but lose all your money, right? And so you think yeah. you need both to have that foundation of trust. And so for me, it's one, I love to just meet the, the, the team and see who's who and who's doing what, how long have they been together? I like to understand their track record, like how long have they been investing, how many full cycle deals or like complete deals they've done that um, and the, and the returns and, and ask even some tough questions. Like when things get tough, like tell me a time when things didn't go well and what did you do about it? And what have you learned? And so just kind of understanding their track record, right. I think is important. That's like the, that's the, competency aspect the character aspect you know understanding that that's a little more difficult right that's where you have to kind of you know get to know them and ask more questions and see how do they spend their time what they, what they spend their time doing and, and whatnot but eventually you can start to get this clear picture of who you're investing with and of course it's always helpful to talk with others that have invested with these people and say how how has it been tell me about your experience with them but it's kind of that due diligence as a passive investor is incredibly important when it comes to the team because everything else doesn't matter in terms of the market or the or the the asset that they're going to be purchasing it doesn't matter if you don't have a good team and so it, it all starts there that's a great question yep. randy yeah absolutely and i you know the saying eagles soar with eagles um you know you find <laughs> folks that perform at a very very high level and generally, they're hanging out with other folks that are performing at a high level. And when they come together for a business unit, it, it it's extremely powerful. So, you know, when right. when I'm looking at and even look like before you and I hop on the call, I take a look at your LinkedIn. I see like what type of eagles have you been soaring with and working for a company <laughs> like Amazon Web Services, I wish, yeah. working for the type of organization that you do, you don't yeah. show up and just kind of half measure it at a job like that. You no, need to perform at a high level every day. And, That's right. and you look at the people that you're associating with and it's the same thing. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's interesting. So let, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. I'm curious. Sure. Um, you mentioned a little bit about how your strategies might've evolved over the years. Um, mm -hmm. I think with the market, the way that it's changing, there are going to be some opportunities that present themselves to good solid operators in the coming years. And a lot of times, you know, organizations I think are going to get forced to sell properties when maybe they, mm. they wouldn't want to, to sell properties. So can you talk about how exit strategy or possibly even having various exit strategies, how that might play into a, a passive investor's um, mindset as they're looking at some of these deals or how that could influence um, selection in some of those deals? That's a, that's a really good question, Randy. And there's a lot going on in the global economy and I won't pre pretend to have all the answers and how it's all going to play out, sure. you know, but what I would say is you're absolutely right that it, it, the, the, what you don't want to do is ever get into an investment where the, the, the investors have to sell a property when it's not a good time to be selling. Like valuations are lower now because of the cost of capital uh, is it's gone up so much in the last, in this last year. And if people have to sell, you know, at a loss, then, you know, you're, you're, you're risking principal, right? You put in a hundred thousand. Now you walk away with 80. That doesn't feel good. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, as a passive investor, I, 
believe that looking for operators that have that have cash flowing assets that could ride a storm, no matter how hard it gets, they have cash flow to operate and to keep to be able to pay the mortgage and to be able to keep operating to keep uh, deploying capital to to fix up the property. That if they can ride the storm through that, you know the through having enough capital, they're able to get on the other side of this storm where valuations are much more favorable and be able to sell at a profit. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I, I like to see that their their debt service coverage ratio, which basically means like the, for every dollar of debt they have, how much do they have in cash flow, that they have a, a you know good moat of cash flow coming in versus how much they owe in their debt. I'd like to make sure that they have what's called a rate cap. If they have a variable loan, that they have an insurance to make sure that the rate doesn't go too high. And of course, you know, when rate when if their cost of capital is going up and their revenue is staying roughly the same, there can be an issue if 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 they have negative cash flow every single month. And so, yep. so cash flowing assets is one thing, and then two, having sufficient capital reserves that they can draw from to weather the storm. I think those, you know, those are, are really key things to be focusing on is um, just making sure that they can operate and not have to sell if they don't want to. And that, 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 I think that's key in this, this environment. Yeah, really, really good points. And um, thank you for kind of digging into that a little bit more, because those are those are the type of deals that the new or the the details that the new passive investor doesn't even know to ask um, without mm-hmm. an expert yeah. like yourself to help guide them through that process. So yeah, thank sure. you for that value. I think that that's really important. So, so, I mean, it's, it's really clear for me and I'm sure our listeners to hear that you're extremely educated and passionate about this space. Um, <laughs> you're probably not one of the guys that's going to be here for a couple of years and be gone. It looks like this is a long path um, or will be a part of your path for many, many years to come. I, yep. I'm curious from, from an advice and suggestion standpoint, what type of education resources or, or tools would you suggest to the passive investor that's trying to learn more and try to become more acquainted with this? So it's not such a scary transition when they're, they're wiring that first 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you, your question, and you know, it all revolves around this idea of investing in yourself, right. And educating yourself so that mm-hmm. you can be, um, uh, an effective passive investor and i think that's so so important it's, it's the process that's kind of the mentality that i take is investing in myself to learn more so that i can make better decisions and so i i you know one couple of like resources that i would I'd recommend is one brian burke he wrote a book called the hands-off investor i i enjoyed reading that one it can get it gets pretty deep into how to analyze a passive investment and that that was a that was a good one. I, I like Joe Fairless as well. You can look him up on Google, and he has a lot of great content that you can get lost in because he just produces a lot of great content. Um, yeah. And last but not least, you know, a plug in for my my business partner Lisa Zhang. She has uh, a lot of free content as well uh, on her website, which is uh, the letters E Z F I then University. So E Z F I University dot com and and those are all resources that I've been consuming over the last number of years to just really get smart on how to analyze these passive investments. And so uh, th- those are great places to start. But of course, you know, you have resources like Randy or myself to reach out to to help guide you on that first deal. Because I think it's just so very important to have a really strong network of people that have done this mm-hmm. before that are successful in what you want to do 
and then just have them guide yeah. you along the way so you can make the first your first step is a good step. Awesome. Yeah, success definitely yeah. leaves clues. There's no doubt about it. And you know, one more thing <laughs> about right. your partner, she she creates really entertaining content too, which is it's a little over the top. Um, but I love her energy <laughs> yeah. and just her enthusiasm yeah. to to help and and pay it forward. So um yeah. well well let's do this. What's uh what can our audience do to help support you in your journey? Yeah, that's a that's a great I appreciate you asking that. I would say that for me, it all goes back to your your network. And so one way to support me is actually even just reaching out. I love to meet more passive and active investors. I love hearing people's stories and I love to hear what they like and what they don't like about what they're doing and and just exploring if there's ways to collaborate now or in the future. I'm just like a big believer in this law of reciprocity that exists in the universe mm -hmm. that if you just go out giving value to people, it comes back to you. And so I've, I'm really big in just trying to network and, and give value. And so, you know, to support me, I'd love to just hear from you. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, I'd love that. And, and vice versa, I'm sure there's plenty I can learn from you. So that's, yeah, that, that's, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to our listeners, what I'll say is that Jonathan came to me just shortly. Um, we met at a conference. He came to me just after um, getting laid off from my, my corporate America job. And he offered his time and his energy and enthusiasm and uh, made some introductions. And we, we hopped on a call and he was, he was, you know, the true epitome of giver's gain. Um, so he, mm -hmm. he is definitely practicing what he preaches. Um, and I, I would cur encourage our listeners to reach out and get some time on the calendar with them and start start subscribing to not only the content that he and his partners are providing, but subscribe to the content by a lot of different operators. So you can start to compare yes. and contrast because, um, you know, you can you can learn so much about this space just by working with the operators, listening to podcasts like like he suggested and and mm -hmm. reading some of the books that are great that are out there as well. So, um, well, let's, let's finish with one. That's kind of fun here. Is there a bucket list item that you have recently crossed off your bucket list that you'd like to share with us? Oh, that's a great question. Recently. Um, you know, I, I'll say that it's not, I'll say it's halfway crossed off. And what that is, is okay. like, I am, you know, I want to live abroad with my family next summer. And I have, I have three little boys, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-month-old. And I'm trying to convince my wife to to live abroad during that summer. I finally got her approval to say, yes, we're going to do it. Now it's figuring out, okay, well, where are we going to go and and what are we going to do? So like, I feel like that, that just getting a yes from the wife was a, <laughs> a partway uh, a bucket list, like, check. But once let, let's circle back yeah. in, the, in next summer and I'll tell you all about it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I think that probably ties really nicely to the next question. What's the next bucket list item? I think you could very easily say living abroad, but anything else on the bucket list you're hoping to, uh, to cross off here in the near future? You know, um, I gotta be careful how I say this, but I, I'm looking for more time and mobility, you know, and, and you can kind of read between the lines of what that may mean. But I think a big bucket list is having my side hustle became become my main hustle right and i have yeah. a I have a passion for real estate investing have a passion for what it's done for my family 
And it was just, and then it's not like we've done anything like really crazy. It's just compounding, right? Just doing small, simple things every single day that have led to these a massive like uh, results. And so for me, this is the culmination of nine years in the making of, of, of being able to have a little more time and mobility and, and freedoms that I've been um, trying to achieve for my family. And so that, that would be a pretty big bucket list whenever that does happen. Yeah. And even just work optional um, as a goal. Totally. I love the idea yeah. that when, when your passive investments exceed your, your goal lifestyle, then you mm-hmm. get to choose. And even if you That's choose right. to stay with the W-2, um, choosing to stay with the W-2 versus having to go to a W-2 is a very freeing experience. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, very good. Well, thank you so much. I, I think our, our listeners got a ton of value from the conversation. Clearly, um, as I mentioned earlier, you are a mover and shaker in the space and will continue to be. So thank you thank so you, much Randy. for being on the podcast. Yeah. yeah and to our listeners- Absolutely. Uh, to the listeners, as always, um, I encourage you to reach out to, to Jonathan and connect. Um, follow him on his social. Uh, we'll include all of his contact information in the show notes. Um, and again, to the listener, continue to educate yourself and learn more and more about this space. Um, Jonathan's path has been nine years so far, um, but I've met many, many folks that do it just as fast or faster. Um, but it all comes down to making that decision to invest in your first deal. So get educated, get inspired, and we'll look forward to helping you along that path. Thanks so much. And we'll look forward to having you on another podcast. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.